message today is the fourth message in our series on foundations, which are on our church's core values. Today's message is on covenant family. So let's start by reading. If you look at the back of your bulletin, I'll read it if you can follow along. Let's read the core value. It's right at the bottom right of your, the back page of your bulletin. So as a covenant family united to Christ and to one another, we are called to share our lives together in gospel-centered community. God has called us to worship together, to use our gifts and resources for the needs of others, to share each other's burdens, to confess our sins to one another, to pray for each other, to celebrate God's purpose and faithfulness in the midst of our triumphs and sufferings. So let me start with our scripture today. It's from Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. I'll start there, but I'm actually going to reference the entire chapter. But let's start by reading Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. There's pew Bibles in front of you, or you brought your own. Uh, please follow along. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Amen. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word today, and Lord, we know that your word always returns the fruit that you want from it. Um, but Lord, I am a weak and frail vessel. I pray, Lord, that you will help my voice today, but also uh, allow me to speak by the unction of your Holy Spirit to speak your words. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, my Lord. And I give you thanks, Lord, for uh, what you have for us, for this church, for the core values that we have that build upon one another. We pray, Lord, that this core value we can take to heart today. I give you thanks, Lord, for giving me an opportunity to preach your word today. Please bless the hearing of your word. Please let it land on fertile ground. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So um, I read a story recently about a Best-selling author Ellen Porter, she tells the story of Mitsuyu, a Japanese exchange student who came to visit with her and her family and her daughter, Jennifer. Mitsuyu's English was not so good at first, and it was pretty hard to communicate. And so after a while, it just became easier actually not to even try, you know, just sort of go through the motions. Uh, after a while... Ellen noticed that some of the articles of clothing, some things were starting to disappear in their house, especially Jennifer's clothing. I mean, there were small things, a pair of shorts here, a t-shirt there, a few things. They, they weren't that expensive, but it was still kind of annoying. She assumed Mitsuyu was uh, to blame, but didn't know for sure. In December of that year, Ellen was asked to prepare for the church party which involved making a bunch of felt figurines for nativity sets, a couple hundred of them, in fact. Um, Mitsuyu wanted to join in, and she did, but her 
figures usually look kind of deformed and a little strange. Um, soon Ellen discovered that some of the figures that she had made had disappeared. Suspecting Mitsuyu, she was kind of upset. She ran upstairs, opened up Mitsuyu's door, and caught her in the act. She had several of the figurines, and she was putting them into her, um, into her closet. Well, that was about all she could take. She said, and I'm going to quote this one here. Um, is this, well, in fact, she also saw, I guess I missed that. She, she saw some of her daughter's clothes and some of the decorations from around the house that had also gone missing were also in her suitcase. So she got very upset. Is this the way you thank us for opening our home and lives to you? Is it? You little thief. I'm getting you out of my house. Mitsuyu broke down and started to cry. Ellen, thinking, well, maybe I've been just a little bit too harsh. Yeah, can you? Um, put her arm around her, and to her surprise, Mitsuyu put her arms around her and just hugged her. Um, so Ellen asked, why did you take these things? They're worthless. Mitsuyu replied, I was not to keep them. I was only holding them a while because they remind me of you. Always you made my bed, but you didn't talk to me in the evenings as you did to Jennifer. Ellen realized that she had given Mitsuyu food, shelter, gifts, but she had not given herself. Mitsuyu just wanted some part of what had been withheld from her, Ellen's love. Ellen thought she had always been a foreigner, someone I treated as a guest in our home, never as a member of the family. Mitsuyu also shared she wanted to fit in at school, but others thought she dressed strange and she talked strange. She wanted so much to be part of the family, just for a little while, she had taken those things as a symbol and as a security blanket of the love that she was missing. So Ellen dried Mitsuyu's tears and said, I'll forgive you if you'll forgive me. Well, the church Christmas party was a great success. Ellen, Mitsuyu, and Jennifer spent several nights making wise men, sheep, and the holy family. And then she writes, quote, Who was I to criticize if some were crudely made? For we are all crudely made. We're not perfect, just forgiven. I specifically asked the elders to let me preach this sermon, um, not because this is one that I do extremely well, it's the one I struggle with the most. Um, I also asked to be on the strategic group for connection for the same reason. Uh, it's out of weakness that I'm here today to talk to you. It's not that I've got it all together and got all this figured out. I make plenty of mistakes, and like Ellen, sometimes it's you guys are strange, and sometimes I'm strange, and sometimes it's easier just not to try. Um, but please forgive me. Um, I pray that God will use this message not only for me. He's changed my heart over the last few weeks, but I pray that he'll also help you to understand that when we don't treat each other as family, we, um, others lose out. But most importantly, I think we lose out um, because we lose the opportunity and to experience the grace and love that God has for us through being membership of this household. So I have three main points, um, as I've told I'm supposed to. So first, if you're taking notes, I'll go ahead and say all three. Adopted through the covenant is point one. Point two is united as a family. And point three is loving one another. So let's start with the first one. Adopted through the covenant, or if you want a subtitle, 
reconciled to God. So in Ephesians, the scripture we just read, Paul says we're no longer strangers and aliens, but our relationship with God has changed. Um, And that's because of covenant. That's why we call it covenant family. It's not just any family. We've been adopted. I could give, or Dan could give, months of sermons on covenant, so I'm definitely not going to go into that kind of depth, maybe an hour or two here today, but... uh, But I do want to talk about it a little bit on how it relates, like why are we family and why are we part of this household of God? I think it's because of covenant specifically. The two main covenants expressed in the Bible, the old covenant or the covenant of works and the new covenant, the covenant of grace. Covenant, first by definition, a covenant is defined as a binding agreement or a legal contract. It's a seal between two or more parties. But there's so much more to it than that. The difference between a contract and a covenant becomes really evident when you see what happens when one is broken. If a contract is broken, it's called a breach of contract, and the covenant now, or that contract now is null and void. There might be penalties for the breach, but the contract no longer exists. If I contract with you to buy your home, and you say you will do certain things before I take possession of the home, you don't do those things, that contract is now null and void. I, don't have to, I no longer have to buy that house. Not so with a covenant. A covenant remains even if it's breached. Covenants are a type of contract, but they are so much more. They're not treated in the same way, nor are they built on the same premise. So now that we know a little bit about covenants, let me talk a little bit about the old covenant. Some say the old covenant was with the people of Israel through Moses. Actually, the Bible makes it clear the old covenant goes way back before that. Paul even talks about the, if the covenant, if the law given would have uh, uh, basically nullified the covenant, then it would, uh, you know, basically the law given didn't over, supersede the covenant. But specifically uh, in the Westminster Confession, place for me to go to find the definition. The first covenant made with man was a covenant of works wherein life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity, us, upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. I'm not going to read these scriptures, but I'll give them to you. Genesis 2, 16 and 17 points out the covenant nature. And then Romans 5, 12 through 14, I think, really makes it very clear about Adam and the consequences of the fall. So Adam died when he sinned, but more than that, sin entered the world. And even worse than that, humanity became incapable of being justified before a righteous and holy God. Remember the terms of the covenant. Remember, they're still in force. The terms of the covenant require perfect and personal obedience. And I don't know about you, but that's not me. Um, So Romans 3, 20 and 21, Galatians 3, 10... I'll talk about what happened uh, when we broke that covenant through Adam. But God didn't leave us there. The Westminster Confession goes on to talk about the new covenant. So it says, man by his fall, having made himself incapable of life by the covenant, the old covenant, the Lord was pleased to make a second, commonly called the covenant of grace, wherein he freely offers unto sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ, Now, here's the conditions, requiring of them faith in him, being Jesus, that they may be saved and promise to give unto all those who are 
ordained unto eternal life, his Holy Spirit, praise God, to make them willing and able to believe. So in, in Ephesians, uh, it talks about um, we're, we're not only um, not able to keep the covenant, but that he makes us willing and able. Romans 8.3, and I will go ahead and read this one. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That's the new covenant. And then in Ezekiel, and I won't quote that one either, but it talks about giving us a heart of flesh and taking out our heart of stone. Going back to Ephesians, then we can see Paul talks about both these covenants. So I, the way I divided up the section in Ephesians 2, Ephesians 1, 2, 1 through 9, talk about us being reconciled to God. So that's my first point. Ephesians 11 through the end of the chapter talk about us being reconciled to one another, our unity in the faith. And then there's that middle section, which gets to my point three, which I'll talk about later. But let's read Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, just to bring out the points of those two covenants. It says, You were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's old covenant and the fact that we no longer can keep it. The terms have been broken. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, the new covenant of grace. For it is by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, this is the point I made earlier. It's not of our own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. So Paul makes it clear, covenant is how our relationship with God is, was created, and it's through grace that, it's, that we've been saved, and it's specifically by the work of Jesus Christ as mediator, mediator of both the Old and New Covenant that we have been made right in the presence of God. You want to learn more about this, man, I, I, there's so much I wanted to read, but Galatians 3 would be a fantastic chapter to go to to look at on how we've been saved. Brings us to my second point, united as a family, and my subtext or subtitle is reconciled to one another. So we've been reconciled to God, praise God we've been reconciled to God, and that's an important first step. If that didn't happen, none of the rest matters. But why covenant family? Because we've been reconciled to one another. In verse 19, Paul specifically says, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So our, our core value could have been covenant citizens, as Paul clearly uses that image, but he also talks about us being a household of God. I think it's like the difference between contract and covenant. One is kind of weak, but one is much more strong. So we're not just citizens. If we were fellow citizens of the United States, fellow citizens of Granville, 
There's something that binds us together, some commonality, but it's pretty weak. Um, But being bound together as brothers and sisters in the household of God, that is a kind of bond that should not be taken lightly. Paul, in addressing relationship, if you look, verses 11 through the end, Paul's specifically talking about the church, the Jews and the Gentiles. And those were two camps that were at enmity with each other. Maybe they got along with each other, maybe they did work with each other, but in general, they didn't have much to do with one another. Certainly the Israelites felt, you know, we are the people of God, we're the sons of Abraham. But Paul is talking about a new reality here. As members of the church, as members of the household of God, we have a new and living relationship with one another. We are united together because we're united in Him. So disunity in the church amounts to trampling the sacrifice of Christ underfoot and resisting the eternal plan of corporately communing with God. So he talks about us being built into a temple of God. Living stones, he talks about us in other places. Being built on the foundation of Christ and the prophets. So as I was preparing this, I thought, well, some are probably going to say, aren't we supposed to love everybody? Like, what's the special relationship here? What about the universal fatherhood of God or the universal brotherhood of man? I've, used, I've heard those terms, and I never felt right. And in fact, it's not right. Um, it, it's a great sentiment, but it doesn't really hold water. Um, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to treat. God says, treat our enemies, love our enemies. Um, do good to those who persecute you. He also says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's true. But it's not the same as being part of the household of God. So let me first say, why, why do I say that universal fatherhood of God and universal brotherhood of man? Uh, I've got a couple of scriptures here, but specifically John 8, 37 to 47. And uh, specifically, I honed in on 42 through 47. But Jesus said to them, if God were your father... You would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Very harsh words. And you will do your father's desires. And then verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. 1 John 3, 9, and 10, same thing, um, outside of the Gospels, but basically the same sentiment. And again, that doesn't mean we don't show mercy and grace. But in verse 21 of the scripture we read, it says, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God. The church is made of living parts, living stones. Each of us have different gifts and different abilities, which is diversity, and yet there's unity. And when I say the church, obviously I'm talking about the church here, but as Dan said in his prayer so eloquently, we're part of a bigger church. Uh, Toshe, who's here today, and Jesse, people who are visiting from other churches, uh, we have a bond together that nobody else shares, and it's a great bond that we share. So that brings me to my last point, the so what. Uh, Loving one another or subtitle, how we are to relate to one another's family. 
I think verse 10, I was trying to figure out where to pull this from, uh, but verse 10, I think, is a transition verse. So it's a little bit out of order from what I'm presenting, but in verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in thinking about this, I thought, this is God's house. It's his household. He makes the rules. And there are certain family rules that God has placed before us. Specifically, we're to love one another and treat each other as family. But as Dan clearly spelled out a couple of weeks ago in his sermon on discipleship, it's not what we do for God. It's not, I'm, I'm not calling you to put in extra effort or if I could just do this better. That's something I tend to try to do. But it's about what God has already done. God has already bound us together as a family. God has already made us living stones if you're in his family, if you believe in him. And so it's not about what we can do for God or what we can do for each other, but what God has already done in and through us. In Ephesians 2.10, I think, specifically calls that out. It's a reminder to us that God created and adopted us for good works that he prepared for us beforehand. We're God's workmanship. I love that word. So the Greek word there, and I may not get it quite right, but it's poema, which is the root word of poem. So think of it as God is writing a poem, and it's your life. God, we are God's workmanship. He's gifted each of us individually and differently. I love the prayer that we did this week on Thursday, specifically as we prayed for the church. We prayed that we would, God would empower us to use our gifts for the good of others. I think that's an important thing that God calls us to do. Several groups of people I see in the church, so I'm going to go through four of them. How am I doing? I'm, I know I'm, eh, I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be less than an hour. So guests, I think, are one kind of people that are here. People who are not part of the family of God yet, or maybe never will be. If you're in that camp, I'm glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Uh, our goal is to share our lives and share the gospel with you. Even though we have this special relationship I'm talking about, we're glad you're here. And it's our prayer that someday you will also share in the adoption that God offers to you. The only requirement, and that's that terms of the covenant, is that you admit you're a sinner. I need God. And by faith that you believe that through Christ, that's how you are saved. Our family may seem a bit weird. I talked about weirdness and strange. Uh, we are, and that's all right. All of us have felt that way before. Uh, when I first became a Christian, the language was weird. The things people did was strange. Uh, you get used to us. Um, you can take your shoes off and feel right at home. So one, one sort of people are guests. Another is visiting family, like Toshe and Jesse. Um, I see uh, Nick and Melanie here, so thanks for coming today. But there are people who are not members here who are visiting with us, whether that's for a short time, like just for today, or whether it's for, uh, if they're students at Denison, I think I saw a few of them come in a little bit earlier. Um, they might be here with us for a year or two, but then they're going home. My prayer for you is get involved. You're part of the family. Make yourself at home. Join us on Sunday mornings, absolutely. Join us for small groups. Get to know us. We'll get to know you. That's what family does. Um, 
please settle in. We know you're part of the larger household of God. And when I, as a, as a family member, so if Michelle and I go to visit family, if I go up to visit my in-laws in Michigan or we go to visit, uh, I call them family, it's our best friends in Dayton, um, we're not treated as guests. It's not like with Masuyu. When I'm up at my in-laws, I get up in the morning, I make my own coffee, I help do the dishes, I go out and do some work, I helped my father-in-law put in a whole house humidifier. Um, I don't expect to be treated special, although there's certainly hospitality. Family always has hospitality, and you guys are great at that. But if you're visiting with us, make yourself at home. Make a snack. Um, take off your shoes. Um, we engage with others fully. So when I, when I visit, I share my lives. I talk to my father-in-law, and I tell him stuff that I'm struggling with. I talk about work, as most people do. As Toshe talked about, work can be tough. Um, example, I think, is my time I spent in Singapore. I was there for a few months, and I was visiting a church, a local church there, and I made myself at home. Uh, I went not only on Sundays, I went to some Bible studies when I could. Um, they had a month of prayer just like we are doing right now, and I prayed. I took the little cards, and I prayed with them every day. Um, it's part of being part of the family. Just because you're visiting doesn't mean you're a guest Please feel free to accept our hospitality, but uh, there's a lot more to it than that. Third group of people, li family living as guests. Uh, this is a little kick in the pants, I suppose. Somewhat for me, a lot for others. Um, people who are not engaged or not using their gifts. Just like Mitsuyu in the opening story, I think there are people who uh, are treated or maybe they treat themselves as strangers or foreigners not really wanting to get involved, it's hard. Um, it's difficult. Some people are strange, like I said, and uh, it might just be easier not to try, like Ellen did in our earlier story. Um, that's one reason I think why, it, you know, it's important for us as family to not only gather together in corporate worship, but to share our gifts with each other and to be committed and in unity into one another, not just to the big C church, but to this group. And I pray that if this is not the place, if you're visiting and this is not the place, find some place. Um, be used of God. Uh, participate. I, I pray that this is the place, but if it's not, don't, don't let yourself, don't shortchange yourself and be treated as a foreigner or stranger. Please get involved. And uh, we'd love to. And, I ask your forgiveness for the point, you know, either me or anybody in the church, if we haven't pulled you in, uh, I apologize, but uh, don't, let, don't let it happen. It's one of the reasons I think that the elders here push so hard for membership. It's uh, being a member, you know, submit yourself to the discipline of the church and uh, those vows that you take, I think they're important. It's the difference between covenant and just a contract. And I think it's really important. It's worth it to get involved. It can be messy, but it's worth it. And the last group of people, members of the local household. I say members, but I mean even if you're fully engaged, even if you haven't become a member, engaged and heavily united to the Granville Chapel here. I just want to say, I think 
you do a fantastic job. I honestly do. When we, several months ago, when we put together a list of the different uh, ministries here and the different things going on from the family life thing going on across the hall, I saw them coming out this morning to the Mama Bear's prayer time, to all the small groups, to the ushers, to the greeters, to the musicians. What a fantastic family to be a part of. Um, and I just want to commend you on that. But to the point where, like me, I'm a member, um, I try to be involved. There are times where it's just hard, the effort. Um, I want to encourage you to do all the more. I think it's worth it. It's worth the effort. So what are the core rules of the family? This is sub-point 3A, I guess. And this will be quick. In 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, Paul talks a lot about the interaction between members of the family, whether it's husband and wives, uh, fathers and children, uh, employers and, and their workers. Uh, but I, I actually like the way that the elders and Dan wrote our core value. So I'm going to read that again. I think that says it better than I could say it. Um, so let me read that again. As a covenant family, united to Christ and to one another, as I said earlier, we're reconciled to God, we're reconciled to one another, we're called to share our lives together in gospel-centered community. God has called us to worship together, as we're doing, thank you for being here today, to use our gifts and resources for the needs of others, to share each other's burdens. And I am so thankful for the way that we do that um, and that's one of the areas, I think, where I treat myself as a stranger. It's easier for me to try to fix something myself or do something. I know we're, the deacons, the deacon candidates are meeting after church. The deacons are already working on this. There are big needs. People have deacon needs. Um, and then there's just the life, you know, whether it's putting in a humidifier in the whole house, whether it's putting... Uh, fixing three-way switches on your lights, or it, it can be a number of things. Um, get together, have fun working. That's one of the things I do, we do with our Dayton friends is we'll have work-a meetings, you know, we'll get together and we'll spend the weekend at their house, but, you know, it's expected. We're going to do something, whether it's fixing a hole in a wall, fixing a, some plumbing. Oh, I hate plumbing, but... <laughs> But that is, uh, that's part of being a family. Uh, to confess our sins to one another, another hard one. To pray for each other and to celebrate God's purpose and faithfulness in the midst of our triumphs and our sufferings. Amen. That means serving one another in love, and it also means encouraging one another to pull our own weight by using the gifts God has given to each of us. It means confronting and disciplining sin in our brothers and sisters that's hard, and it's uncomfortable, but absolutely necessary in what it means to be part of a family. So my opening illustration shows how we can miss it. Um, just like Helen, it's easy just to not try because it's so hard, but believe me, it's worth it. Um, our differences, sometimes our disagreements, sometimes you don't think the way I do, I don't think the way you do, but not trying is not only against our core value, 
but it's also against and contrary to what God's command is for us to love one another and to be built up into a temple for God. It's a package deal. If God is my father, then you are my brothers and sisters, and you are my family. I look forward to learning how to do this better in the year to come. So thank you very much. Um, if you'll turn-